name is Isaac, and today I will be reading Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse, Chapter 9. Um, also, we are painfully, painfully, painfully close to 1,000 downloads. Just saying. I learned how to grow zombies. The thing about flying on a Pegasus during the daytime is that, if you're not careful, you can cause a serious traffic accident on the Long Island Expressway. I had to keep Blackjack up in the clouds, which were fortunately pretty low in the winter. We darted around, trying to keep up with the white Camp Half-Blood van in sight. And if it was cold on the ground, it, ha- it was seriously cold in the air, with icy rain stinging my skin. I was wishing I'd brought some of that Camp Half-Blood orange thermal underwear they sold in the camp store. But after the story about Phoebe and the Centaur Blood t-shirt, I wasn't sure I trusted their products anymore. We lost the van twice, but I had a pretty good sense of where they were going, that they would go into Manhattan first, so it wasn't too difficult to pick up their trail again. Traffic was bad with the holidays and all. It was mid-morning before they got into the city. I landed Blackjack near the top of the Chrysler building and watched the white, white camp van, thinking it would pull up into the Greyhound station, but it just kept driving. Where's Argus taking them? I muttered. Oh, Argus ain't driving, boss, Blackjack told me. That girl is. Which girl? The hunter girl with a silver crown and a thing in her hair. Zoe? Yeah, that one. Hey, look! There's a donut shop. Can we hit the donut? Can we eat the drive-thru? I tried explaining to Blackjack that Blackjack that taking a flying horse through the drive-thru would give every cop in the don in the donut shop an, a heart attack, but he didn't seem to get it. Meanwhile, the van kept snaking its way towards the Lincoln Tunnel. It never occurred to me that Zoe could drive. I mean she didn't look sixteen. Then again, she was immortal. I wondered if she had a New York license, and if so, what her birthday'd said. Well, I said, let's get after them. We're about to leap off, leap off the Chrysler building when Blackjack whinnied an alarm and almost threw, and almost threw me. Something was curling around my leg like a snake. I reached for my sword, but when I looked down, there was no snake. Vines, vines, grapevines, sprouted from the cracks between the stones of the building. They were wrapping around Blackjack's leg, lashing down my ankles so he couldn't move. Going anywhere? Mr. D asked. He was leaning against the building with his feet levitating in the air, his leopard skin warm-up suit and his black hair whipping around in the wind. God alert! Blackjack yelled. It's the wine dude! Mr. D sighed in expiration. Exasperation. The next person, or horse, who calls me the wine dude will end up in a bottle of Merlot. Mr. D? I tried to keep my voice calm as the grapevines continued to wrap around my legs. What do you want? Oh, what do I want? You thought, perhaps, that the immortal, all-powerful director of camp would not notice you leaving without permission? Well, maybe. I should throw you off this building, minus the flying horse, and see how your hero, how heroic you sound on the way down. I balled my fists. I knew I should keep my mouth shut, but Mr. D was... About to kill me or haul me back to camp in shame, and I couldn't stand either. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? Purple flames flickered in his eyes. You're a hero, boy. 
I need no other reason. I have to go on this quest. I have to go. I have. I've got to help my friends. There's some not something you don't understand. Um, boss. Blackjack said nervously, seeing as how we're wrapped in vines three hundred meters in the air, you might want to talk nice. Grapevines coiled together around me. Below us, the white van was getting further and further away. Soon it would be out of, out of sight. Did I ever tell you about Arachne? Mr. D asked. Beautiful young princess of Crete? She liked helping her, her friends, too, in fact. She helped a young hero named Theseus, also a son of Poseidon. She gave him a bowl of magical thread that let him find his way out of the labyrinth. And you know how Theseus rewarded her? The answer, the answer I wanted to give was, I don't care! But I didn't figure that Mr. D. Finn, I figured that would make Mr. D. finish his story any faster. They got married, I said happily. I said, happily ever after the end. Mr. D. sneered. Not quite. Theseus said he, said he would marry her. But he took her aboard his ship and sailed for Athens. Halfway back on the island called Naxos, he... What's the word you mortals use? He dumped her. I found her there, you know, alone, heartbroken, crying her eyes out. She'd given up everything, left everything she knew behind, to help a dashing young hero who tossed her away like a broken sandal. That's wrong, I said, but that was thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? Mr. D regarded me coldly. I fell in love with Arachne, boy. I healed her broken heart, and when she died, I made her my mortal wife on Olympus. Olympus. She waits for me even now. I shall go back to her when I am done with this infernal century of punishment at your ridiculous camp. I stared at him. You're... You're married? But I thought you got in trouble for chasing a wood nymph. My point is, you heroes never change. You accuse of us gods of being vain. You should look at yourself. You take what you want, use whoever you have to, and then you betray everyone around you. So you use me if I have no love for heroes. So excuse me if I have no love for heroes. They're selfish, ungrateful lot. Ask Arachne. Or Medea. For that matter, ask Zoe Nightshade. What do you mean, ask Zoe? He waved his hand dismissively. Go, follow your silly friends. The vines uncurled from around my legs. I blinked in disbelief. You're, you're letting me go? Just like that? The prophecy says at least two of you will die. Perhaps I'll get lucky and you'll be one of them. But mark my words, son of Poseidon. Live or die, you will prove no better than the other heroes. With that, Dionysus snapped his fingers. His image folded like a paper display. There was a pop, and he was gone, leaving a faint, faint scent of grapes that was quickly blown, blown away by the wind. Too close, Blackjack said. I nodded, though I almost would have been less worried if Mr. D... It hauled me back to camp. The fact that he'd let me go meant he really believed that we stood a fair chance of crashing and burning on this quest. Come on, Blackjack, I said, trying to sound upbeat. I'll buy you some donuts in New Jersey. As it turned out, I didn't buy Blackjack donuts in New Jersey. Zoe drove south like a crazy person, and we were into Maryland before she finally pulled over at a service station. 
Blackjack nearly tumbled out of the sky. He was so tired. I'll be okay, boss, he panted. Just, just catching my breath. Stay here, I told him. I'll go to, I'm going to scout. Stay here, I can handle. I can do that. I put on my cap of invisibility and walked over the, to the convenience store. It was difficult not to sneak. I had to keep reminding myself that nobody could see me. It was hard, too, because I had to remember to get out of people's way so they wouldn't slam into me. I thought I'd go inside and warm up, maybe get a cup of hot chocolate or something. I had a little change in my pocket. I could leave it on the counter. I was wondering if the cup would turn invisible when I picked it up, or if I'd have to deal with a floating hot chocolate problem when my whole plan was ruined by Zoe, Thalia, and Bianca and Grover all coming out of the store. Grover, are you sure? Thalia was saying. Well, pretty sure, 99%. Okay, 85%. And you did this with acorns? Bianca asked. Like she, like she couldn't believe it. Grover looked offended. It's a time-honored tackling, tracking spell. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did it right. DC is about 60 miles from here, Bianca said. Nico and I, she frowned. We used to live there. That's strange. I'd forgotten. I dislike this, Zoe said. We should go straight west. The prophecy said west. Oh, like your tracking skills are better? Thalia growled. Zoe stepped towards her. You challenge my skills, you scullion. You know nothing of being a hunter. Oh, scullion. You're calling me a scullion. What the heck is a scullion? Whoa, you two, Grover said nervously. Come on. Not again. Grover's right, Bianca said. DC is our best bet. Zoe didn't look convinced, but she nodded reluctantly. Very well. Let us keep going. You're going to get us arrested driving, Thalia grumbled. I look closer to 16 than you. Perhaps, Zoe snapped. But I've been driving since automobiles were invented. Let us go. As Blackjack and I continued south following the van, I wondered whether Zoe had been kidding. I didn't know exactly when cars were invented, but I figured that was like prehistoric times back when people watched black and white TVs and hunted dinosaurs. How old was Zoe? And what had Mr. B been talk Mr. D been talking about? What bad experience had she had with heroes? As we got closer to Washington, Blackjack started slowing down, dropping out altitude. He was breathing heavily. You okay? I asked him. Fine, boss. I could I could take on an army. You don't sound so good. And suddenly I felt guilty because I'd been running the Pegasus for half a day non-stop, trying to keep up with traffic, highway traffic. Even for a flying horse, that had to be rough. Don't worry about me, boss. I'm a... I'm a tough one. I figured he was right, but I also figured Jack, Black Jack would run himself into the ground before he complained, and I didn't want that. Fortunately, the van started to slow down. It crossed the Potomac River into central Washington. I started thinking about air patrols and missiles and stuff like that. I didn't know exactly how all those defenses worked, and wasn't sure if Pegasi even showed up on your typical military radar, but I didn't want to find out by getting shot out of the sky. Set me down here, I told Blackjack. That's close enough. Blackjack was so tired he didn't complain. He jumped towards the Washington Monument and sat on the grass, and set me on the grass. The van was only a few blocks away. Zoe had parked at the curb. 
I look to Blackjack. I want you to go back to camp. Get some rest. Graze. I'll be fine. Blackjack cocked his head skeptically. You sure, boss? You've done enough already, I said. I'll be fine. And thanks a ton. A ton of hay, maybe. Blackjack mused. That sounds good. All right. Be careful, boss. I got a feeling they didn't come here to meet any anything friendly and handsome like me. I promised to be careful. Then Blackjack took off, circling twice around the monument before disappearing into the clouds. I looked over at the white white van. Everybody was getting out. Rover pointed towards one of the big buildings lining the mall. Dahlia nodded, and the four of them trudged off into the cold wind. I started to follow, but then I froze. A block away, at the door of the door of a black sedan opened. A man with a grey military haircut got out. He was wearing dark shades and a black overcoat. Now, maybe in Washington you'd expect guys like that to be everywhere, but it dawned on me that this guy... I'd seen this same car a couple of times on the highway going south. It had been following the van. The guy took out his cell phone and said something into it. Then he looked around like he was making sure the coast was clear and started walking down the mall into in the right direction of my friends. The worst of it was, when he turned towards me, I recognized it was his face. It was Dr. Thorne, the manticore from Westover Hall. Invisibility cap on, I followed Thalia. I followed Thorne from a distance. My heart was pounding. If he had survived that fall from the cliff, then maybe Anima, then Annabeth must have too. My dreams had been right. She was alive and being held prisoner. Thorne kept well back for my friends, careful not to be seen. Finally, Grover stepped in front of a big building that said Air and Space Museum. The Smithsonia. The Smithsonia. I'd been here a million times. I'd been here a million years ago with my mom, but everything had been so much bigger then. Thought I'd check the door. It was open. There weren't many people going in. Too cold, and it was a school. And it was, and it was school holidays. They slipped inside. Doctor Thorne hesitated. I wasn't sure why, but he didn't go into the museum. He turned and headed across the mall. I made a split decision and followed him. Orrin crossed the street and climbed the steps of the Museum of Natural History. There was a big sign on the door. At first, I thought it said closed for a pri- pirate event. Then I realized it private. Pirate must have meant private. I followed Dr. Thorne aside through a huge chamber full of mastodons and dinosaur skeletons. There were voices up ahead coming from behind a set of closed doors. Two guards stood outside. They opened the doors for Thorne, and I had to sprint to get inside before they closed them again. Inside what I saw was so terrible, and was gasped out loud, which probably would have gotten me killed. It was a huge round room with a balcony ringing the second lever, level. At least a dozen mortal guards stood on the balcony, plus two monsters, reptilian women with double snake trunks instead of legs. I'd seen them before. Annabeth had called them Scythian Drachne, but that wasn't the worst of it. Then, standing between the snake women, I could swear he was looking straight down at me with my old enemy, Luke. He looked terrible. His skin was pale and his blonde hair looked almost gray, as if he'd, been, as if he'd aged ten months, ten years in just a few months. 
The angry light in his eyes was still there, and so was a scar down the side of his face, where a dragon had once scratched him. But the scar was now ugly red, so it had recently been reopened. Next to him, sitting down so that the shadows covered him, was another man. All I could see were his knuckles on the gilded arms of the chair, like a throne. Well, asked the man in the chair. His voice was just like one I'd heard in my dream. Not creepy as, as creepy as Kronos's, but deeper and stronger, like the earth itself was talking. It filled the whole room, even though he wasn't yelling. Dr. Thorne took off, took off his shades. His two colored eyes, brown and blue, glittered with excitement. He made a stiff bow, bow, then spoke in his weird French accent. They are here, General. I know that, you fool, boomed the man. But where? In the Rocket Museum. The Air, the air and Space Museum, Luke corrected irritably. Dr. Thorne glared at Luke. As you say, sir. I got the feeling Thorne would just as soon impale Luke with one of his spikes as call him sir. How many? Luke, Luke asked. Thorne pretended not to hear. How many? General demanded. Four, General, Dr. Thorne, Thorne said. The satyr Grover Underwood and the girl with the spiky black hair and the... How do you say... Punk codes and the horrible shield, Thalia, Luke said, and two other girls, hunters. One wears a silver cir circlet. That one I know, General, the general growled. Everyone in the room shifted uncomfortably. Let me take them, Luke said to the general. We have more than enough. Patience, the general said. They'll have their hands full already. I've sent a little playtime to keep them occupied. But... We cannot risk you, my boy. Yes, boy, Dr. Thorne said with a cruel smile. You are too fragile to risk. Let me finish them off. No, General rose from his chair, and I got my first look at him. He was tall and muscular, muscular with light brown skin and slicked back dark hair. He wore an expensive brown silk suit like the guys on Wall Street wear, but you'd never mistake this dude for a bro brooker. He had a brutal face, huge shoulders, and hands that could snap a flagpole in half. His eyes were like stone. I felt as if they were looking at a living statue. It was, amazed. It was amazing he could even move. You've already failed me, Thorn, he said. But General, no excuses. Thorn flinched. I thought Thorn was scary when I first saw him on the black uniform at the military academy. But now, standing before the General... Thorne looked like a silly wannabe soldier. The general was the real deal. He needed he didn't need a uniform. He was a born commander. I should throw you into the pits of Tartarus for your incompetence, the general said. I send you to capture a child of the three elder gods, and you bring me a scrawny daughter of Athena. But you promised me revenge, Thorne protested. A command of my own. I am Lord Cronus's senior commander the general said, and I will choose lieutenants who get me results. It was only thanks to Luke that we salvaged our plan at all. Now get out of my sight, Thorn, so I find some other men menial task for you. Thorn fa Thor Thorn's face turned purple with rage. I thought I was going to start frothing at the mouth or shooting spikes, 
but he just bowed awkwardly and left the room. Now, my boy, General t- the general turned to Luke. The first thing we must do is isolate the half-blood, Thalia. The monster we seek will then come to her. The hunter will be difficult to dis- hunters will be difficult to dispose of, Luke said. Zoe Nightshade, do not speak her name. Luke swallowed. So, sorry, General, I just... The General silenced him with a wave of his hand. Let me show you, my boy, how we will bring the hunters down. He pointed to a guard on the ground level. Do you have teeth? You have the teeth, not teeth. The guy stumbled forward with a certain ceramic pot. Yes, General, plant them, he said. In the center of the room was a big circle of dirt. I guess the dinosaur exhibit was supposed to go. I watched nervously as the guard took sharp white teeth out of the pot and pushed them into the soil. He smoothed them over while the general smiled coldly. The guard stepped back from the dirt and and whipped his hands. Ready, general. Excellent. Water them and we will let them scent their prey. The guard picked up a little tin watering can with daisies he painted on it. Which was kind of bizarre because he poured what he poured wasn't water; it was a red, dark liquid, and I got the feeling it wasn't Hawaiian punch. The soil began to bubble. Soon, the general said, "I will show you, Luke, soldiers that will make your army from the little boat you looked insignificant." Luke clenched his fists. I spent a year training my forces. When the Princess Andromeda arrives at the mountain, they will be the best. Ha! the general said. I don't deny your troops will make a fine honor guard for Lord Kronos. And you, of course, will have a role to play. I thought Luke turned paler when the general said that. But under my leadership, the forces of Kronos will increase a hundredfold. We will be unstoppable. Behold, my ultimate killing machines! Soil erupted. I stepped back nervously. In each spot where a tooth had been planted, a creature was struggling out of the dirt. The first one of them said, Meow? Meow? It was a kitten. A little orange tabby with stripes like a tiger. Then another one appeared until there were a dozen rolling around and playing in the dirt. Everyone stared at them in disbelief. The general roared, What is this? Cute, cuddly kittens! Where did you find those teeth? The guard who'd brought the teeth cowered in fear. From the exhibit, sir, just like you said, the saber-toothed tiger. No, you idiot, the Tyrannosaurus. Gather up those those infernal fuzzy little beasts and take them outside. And never let me see your face again. The terrified guard dropped his watering can. He gathered up the kittens and scampered out of the room. You, the general pointed to another guard. Get me the teeth right now. The right teeth. The new guard ran off to carry out his order. Imbeciles, muttered the general. This is why I don't use mortals, Luke said. They're unreliable. They're weak-minded, easily bought, and violent, the general said. I love them. A minute later, the guard hustled into the room with his hands full of large, pointy teeth. Excellent, the general said. He climbed onto the balcony railing and jumped down six meters. Where he landed, the marble fork floor cracked under his leathery shoes. He stood win- wincing and rubbed his shoulders. Curse my stiff neck. 
Another hot pad, sir? A guard asked. More Tysonol? No. It will pass. The general brushed off his silk suit, then snatched up his teeth. I shall do this myself. He held up one of his teeth and smiled. Dinosaur, dinosaur teeth. Ha! Those foolish mortals don't even know they have dragon teeth in their possession. And not just any dragon teeth. These come from the ancient Cybers herself. They shall go, they shall do nicely. He planted them in the dirt, twelve in all. Then he scooped up the watering can. He sprinkled the soil with the red liquid, tossed the can away, and held his arms out wide. Rise! The dirt trembled. A single skeletal hand shot out of the ground, grasping at the air. The general looked at, up at the balcony. Quickly! Do you have the scent? Yes, lord, one of the snake ladies said. She took out a slash of silvery, silvery fab fabric, like the kind that hunters wore. Excellent, General said. Once my warriors catch its scent, they will pursue its owner relentlessly. Nothing can stop them, no weapons known to Half-Blood or Hunter. They will tear the Hunter and their allies to shreds. Toss it here. As he said that, skeletons, erupt skeletons erupted from the ground. There were twelve of them, one for each tooth the General had planted. They were nothing like Halloween skeletons, or the kind you might see in a cheesy movie. They were growing flesh as I watched, turning into men, but men with dully, dull gray skin, yellow eyes, and modern clothes. Skin-tight gray vests, camo trousers, and combat boots. If you didn't look too closely, you could almost believe that they were human, but their flesh was transparent, and their bones shimmered underneath like x-ray images. One of them looked straight at me, regarding me coldly, and I knew that no cap of invisibility would fool it. The snake lady released the scarf, and it fluttered down towards the general's hand. As soon as he gave it to the warriors, they would hunt Zoe and the other hunters until they were extinct. I didn't have time to think. I ran and jumped with all my might, plowing into the warriors and snatching up the scarf out of the air. What's this? bellowed the general. It landed. I landed at the feet of a skeleton warrior who hissed. An intruder, the general growled. One cloaked in darkness, seal the doors. It's Percy Jackson, Luke yelled. It has to be. I sprinted for the exit, where I heard a rippling sound and, re and realized the skeleton warrior had taken a chunk out of my sleeve. When I glanced back, he was holding the fabric up to his nose, sniffing the scent, handing around it to his friends. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I squeezed through the door just as the guard slammed it shut behind me. And then I ran. That was um, an interesting chapter nine. Um, there were a lot of voices and it's, yeah, usually I need like two or three sentences at least in a row to get into the voice. And I was like, yes, said the Drachny. No more Drachny. Um, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, but as I said in the beginning, we are so, 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 so close to, um, a thousand downloads. So, yeah.